What's going on, everyone? Taylor Kyle's here for CLNS Media, coming at you with another episode at the Daily, brought to you by our friends at Fan. Well, brought to you by our friends at FanDuel Sportsbooks. More on them later. For now, we got a fun episode here for you. We're going to be going over the first two episodes of the Dynasty series on Apple TV for the Patriots documenting their Super Bowl runs. Uh, we're going to get some perspective on uh, first episode backup plan, Tom Brady actually becoming, you know, first year Tom Brady. Then the second episode, we're going to get into the snowball game. We're also trying Daniel Jeremiah, who just mm-hmm. posted like a championship kind of a blueprint where he has some specific positions that he believes you need to be a championship level team and where the Patriots fall in there. Joining me to break all this down is my good buddy, Mike Cadillac. Mike, how are you? And how'd you feel about the documentary overall? I'm good. Good, Taylor. Thanks for having me. Uh, happy to do this. Obviously happy to relive the good days of the uh, the Patriots dynasty while we can. Uh, the earlier episodes, like you mentioned, are the nostalgia ones, the good stuff, the good times. Um, I have seen the whole thing. It does get uglier and darker as the thing goes on in a good way. There's not... Um, I guess there is some... And we were talking about it before the show. Like In the first couple episodes, there hasn't really been anything fully groundbreaking like no massive news that nobody knew right i mean there's a little bit more behind the scenes footage you hear some conversations with like uh robert Kraft sitting on his desk you know talking to people and like i thought that was kind of interesting um i believe the phone call between brady and bill was the first time we'd seen that when he was drafted you know him saying like oh sorry to make you wait so long and this that so i thought that was pretty cool um, Brady there's a lot no oh, I was fine I, I yeah was totally cool. <laughs> right and so it was cool it was I mean it's it's cool to see um and we'll get into we'll get into it in more detail obviously as the show goes on but like the decisions the decision Bella had to make to you know go with Brady over Bledsoe and keep that going like it's just it's I was you know I'm 26 so I was young at the time so I don't really remember any of that and so to kind of relive it and see how this whole thing kick-started was was pretty cool so if you haven't already I would highly recommend going watching those first two episodes but if you haven't you can listen to us talk about it and then we'll make you want to watch it even more yeah because a lot of this it felt like what we already know from like America's game and you know all the documentaries right. where they follow this team so it kind of felt like you know Robert Kraft like the uh the, was it the Brady Six where Robert Kraft goes yeah I'm Tom Brady I'm the best decision he ever made like yeah it's kind of funny you can tell he's just told that story so many times <laughs> yeah, already yep. and then with the early year stuff like I didn't watch football until like 2009 2010 and I lived in Chicago and New York when this was yeah. happening so like this was not on my radar at all I, you know, learned up on a lot of this stuff from those documentaries. But like you said, it's cool to get another perspective. So right. let's touch on the first episode first. And I feel like we got to start with Drew Bledsoe. Have so to. from your perspective, <laughs> what did you kind of learn from that era? What were your big takeaways? For me, it was the fact that Drew Bledsoe's wife is yeah. not over it. Like even <laughs> to this day, you could tell that she was like, she said there was no loyalty. And it's like, whoa, mm-hmm. like I, I understand why she says that. But even with the benefit of hindsight and seeing that Tom Brady became Tom Brady and it yeah, wasn't right. such a crazy decision, it, you know, with that perspective. But she's like, yeah, no, that, that was not cool. So yeah. that was probably my biggest one. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's like, okay, come on, Miss Blood. So like you were a part of destiny. You were a part of fate. Like you were on, you guys were on the opposite side of it. But if what happened to Drew uh, didn't happen, we never would have had all this. And obviously uh, Drew's injury was gruesome and it was tough to see and like, you know, reliving it, it's crazy. Like, they had a freaking – they had a press conference at Mass General Hospital. Like, I've never seen that in my life. Maybe they did one for, like, the DeMar Hamlin stuff. But besides that, like, 
for for Drew to be sitting on the desk like with his surgeon was kind of bizarre. Like I'd never seen anything like that. So uh, I mean, that was cool. That was uh, yeah. It's it's just I, I'm gonna probably use the words cool and interesting a million times in this episode, but like that's kind of what it is, right? Like it's very unique to kind of see it, you know, summarized in a in a full lens. And so um, yeah, that that was definitely uh, wild to hear from you know Drew's wife. But just the overarching theme, I guess, from the first half of this thing was. You know, and I'm, I'm sort of, I'm using my points and I wrote about it on our website at WEI.com. So if you want to, you know, read on some recaps, you can go check those out too. But my, my big first starting takeaway was like, just Drew Bledsoe was the man. Like he was, yeah. and I, and again, talking about not, not being old enough during that time. Like I didn't really realize, like I, I, I kind of knew who Drew Bledsoe was, but I was only five or six. So it was like, okay, then Brady comes in and then I just liked Brady because he was the quarterback. And so to kind of watch and see like, oh. They already had a franchise quarterback. They had a hundred million dollar man. He they just signed him to a 10-year hundred million dollar extension. It was the the highest paid player in football at the time. He it was, was like the Mahomes player. deal of that era, literally. And so, like Rocket Arm and a guy who and they show the clips like a McDonald's commercial, like McDonald's, like the biggest freaking company in the on the planet at that time. Like he's in a McDonald's commercial, they're calling him the a future Hall of Famer. Like it's just and so. Yeah, I didn't really fully realize like, oh, we had the guy before we had the guy. And so for them to have to make the decision when he ultimately goes down is it's a credit to Belichick, but it's also fascinating that and you know, we can talk about it. But like they show the Bernie Kosar stuff like it was fascinating that he even had the balls to make that kind of move again. So, um, yeah. you know, kudos to him. And obviously it was a tough decision. But yeah, Bledsoe, he, that dude was the man like he was just, you know. Six six, like slinging the ball over the place. I just thought I seeing that angle of it was pretty cool for me. And then I feel like you know I don't obviously like I was saying I wasn't watching a ton of games even in the early two thousands, much less when um, Drew Bledsoe was really slinging it. But I know like watching some of the NFL films, like in the summer they'll play some of the older like classic games. Yeah. And there's that one where it's Bledsoe and Marino just like going back yeah. and forth delivering haymakers. It's like when you think about a game like that, and that was what people expected of him. It's like yeah, you can understand why you get that contract because Dan Marino is freaking Dan Marino. Right. Like in your division and you guys are going back and forth. But I'm what, pretty sure Bledsoe but, still holds the record for most pass attempts in a single game. At one point he threw like 70 like times. 50, I think it was like 70 times. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I can, I can oh double my. check, but yeah. Dude, that's when you just like, like a pitcher, you're just like, all right, take two days. Just like, yeah, take right. off your shoulder. That's yeah. insane. But another one of the kind of sneaky things was that I didn't know about this was that Bledsoe had taken so many hits. And Scott mm. Peel and Ernie Adams were talking about it. They were like, yeah, he wasn't really the same. And right. that's part of the decision where on the outside, it just seemed like a bad move. Even Belichick saying that that uh, Brady had more success. What was There was an exact word. I'll try to find it in my notes. Um, he used a specific word to describe it. Um, he said he was more accomplished, Brady, in running the offense. Yes, and then, yeah. again, Adams and Pioli were saying he had taken so many hits, Bledsoe, that he was starting to kind of wilt under pressure. I'm like, hmm, doesn't that sound familiar? <laughs> yeah. Huh? And then Tom Brady comes in and like, yeah, he's fresh and all this stuff. And I'm like, it's now I'm obviously no one's calling Zappy Brady, but it was right. the same situation last year, similar, where Zappy was just kind of thrown. I mean, again, not the same thing. Bledsoe got hurt. But you hear them throw that perspective, and then what Brady gave them is kind of just a fresh uh, face yep. or a fresh person leading the offense. And it was like that was why Zappi was put in was because at some point Max like fundamentals were just shutting down. It was because he taken so many hits and had lost faith in himself. 
that he ended up, you know, regressing so badly. So that was yeah. another part of it where one of the few things that I had no idea about, I didn't know that he was taking all those hits and obviously right. and the it's... one that finally got him where he had internal bleeding and almost died. Right. It sounds like, you know, the the ultimate decision and the ultimate thing that made Belichick go with Brady was, you know, the injury and the fact that he got a chance to play. But it also sounds like behind the scenes, you know, Adams and Scott Pioli and Belichick kind of already knew that they liked Brady better. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. it's, I thought that was it. like the straw that broke the camel's back was the fact that they were able to put him in in the moment, but they probably wanted to do that before and kind of felt like they couldn't because they just, again, signed this guy to that massive $100 million deal. So, and before we keep going too, we mentioned Scott Pioli there. I thought Scott Pioli through first through episode, the first few episodes here was like incredible, like yeah. very good storyteller, like was honest, was candid, didn't throw anybody under the bus. Like it wasn't like some, I keep seeing people saying like, this is like a Belichick hit piece and blah, blah, blah. Like they're kind of just telling the truth. Like it's just in, it is. It's crazy, but Pioli's been good and candid, and he has a lot of stories to tell. And so, and I thought to him, his Ernie Adams voice was hilarious when he's talking about, "Hey, hey, Scott, come here." You know, he looks like a will. He looks like a will to be thunder attack. And I was like, it's just <laughs> he sounds just like him, and he's he's really good. So, it's cool because you, you know, you can tell that as I guess forthcoming and willing to do this, Belichick was like. He doesn't still really want to say much. He is kind of mm -hmm. tight-lipped still, and you'll see later on in the doc there are some questions he flat out, you know, refuses to answer. Um, but for you know, for for us to get the Pioli angle, which was someone inside the building, and he's kind of telling it like it was, I thought that was pretty cool. So he's he's been awesome. He's been sort of my under the radar MVP for the, through the first couple episodes here. Yeah, she's one of those rare people who is in the building at a very high level, who also yes. is now in the media. So right. he does have that storytelling ability and knows, like, maybe this is what I do say, this is what I maybe won't say because, right. you know, it'll get blown up. And it's still early on. Like, I don't really know what he says in the future, but I completely agree. What were your thoughts yeah. on Ernie Adams and what he was saying? It was kind of funny when he was calling the media scribes. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure this is what they say in the building. It's not like a surprise. Right. They, he was saying, if you're not in the building, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, it's funny. He has this whole, he has this hatred towards the media and you can tell that that's, again, that's inside the building. They don't want to say anything, the scribes. And he said something like, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. There are experts in football in New England and they're the coaches on the Patriots. And it was like, he, he just hates the media, but I also, it's kind of ironic that he hates the media so much, but he's also willing to, you know, sit down for three hours and do this whole thing and say all these things. And, uh, I saw a video of the director that Matt Hemelcheck, I think that's how you say his name, uh, the guy who's mm -hmm. been doing the rounds with um, with the author Benedict too. Like he posted a video. They they staged and restaged the whole Ernie Adams going back to the stadium in the snow, and like I thought that was pretty cool. So he, as much as he hates the media, I very much enjoyed his willingness to you know be a part of the media, I guess, for this, and you know. He still doesn't say much. I think there's one point he literally says, like, I'm not I'm not going to spill the beans or I'm not going to tell the inside secrets. But, you know, you don't know what goes on inside the building and uh, you don't know what you're talking about. So I thought that was but, you know, he's good. He, he's a good storyteller as well. Yep. Last one from the first episode I'll touch on unless you have anything you want to throw out there. Uh, I thought it was interesting hearing what they were saying about Brady, what, uh, what Damian Woody was saying when Brady went up and he was like, hey, like, follow me. I got us like I'm going to work my ass off for you. You work mm -hmm. your ass off for me and all that stuff. And people, and then <laughs> Brisky being like, if people tell you that we were, you know, yeah. excited and like believing in Brady, he was like, that's bullshit. Cause we, yep. he hadn't proven anything. I thought that was really interesting that you saw the confidence early on that Brady had. And again, to talk to like Willie McGinnis, like I've worked with right. Willie McGinnis very closely. Mm -hmm. 
he's a terrifying human being. And that was in media. Not <laughs> yeah. when I'm going out on the field and he's like talking crap at me and all that stuff. So right. with guys like Willie, with uh, Teddy, with Rabel, I thought that was really funny too when, when Willie was like, yeah, sometimes I had to be like, yo, Frames, like maybe you went too far. Like for him yeah. to say that, it's like, what I was know. Rabel doing? Um, what did you think about that? And just the fact that, you know, Brady didn't have their confidence, but he had that confidence in himself sort of. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's telling and it's telling that that's kind of, that's what he used to get to where he was, right? Like he didn't care what was in front of him. He didn't care who he was around. He always thought he was the best. He always thought, you know, I guess he always thought he could do it. We can talk about this more in the second episode, but it kind of, in the second episode, when they talk about the snowball, I'll just, I'll talk about it now. It sounds like he didn't really think they could win that game at the end until Belichick came in the huddle. It was like, we still got this. Let's go do it. And then it kind of shocked Brady and it was like, oh yeah, we can still do this. And then he goes down and does the whole thing. But so, um, but no, like again, that, that confidence that I'm the best guy, I'm the best player. Um, and the fact that he can go into that room with all those veterans and be like, no, I'm going to, we're fine because we have me was, was kind of, it's funny how the offense and the defense had two different, you know, experiences with it. Woody was like, okay, yeah, sure. Let's go. And the defense was like, we'll take like, and I, I wrote about this too. The defense knew what their job was. Like they had to elevate because it was, I guess, only Brady around the offense and they still thought they could do it, but they had to do their job. They had to, you know, go force interceptions and they had to go make tackles and make the offense not want to play. So um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I look at it like Brady, it's I'm trying to think of how I want to word it, but it, it's just, it's fascinating to see that that was him even then. Like he didn't even have to prove anything to himself. He just automatically kind of exuded that confidence. So um, good on him. And that was interesting. A couple other nuggets that I sort of picked out of the, the first episode too was just, and these aren't really, again, not nothing groundbreaking, but kind of funny, like stuff you didn't see, like the the prank where they put the the FBI ink in Brady's socks and he was like really he was good. sweating and his feet were purple for four weeks. It's like and then I I thought it was funny how Bledsoe said uh like I didn't think he was a threat at all. Like and mm -hmm. it was like little did you know that he was Tom freaking Brady. Um and then Brady buying Ty Law's condo and the back and forth between mm -hmm. him and Ty where he was like, Oh, I gave him a deal <laughs> and I had the whole thing set up and Brady was like the hell you didn't give me a deal. Like you overcharged you me. me. Like shit. <laughs> yeah, right. Like those are the the little things that it's like Again, nothing groundbreaking, nothing breaking, like breaking news, like this, that, and the other. But it's like, oh, that's that's kind of funny to see them in that in that light. So, um, and then the final thing from episode one that I really was like a a tent pole, I guess, in the episode for me anyway was like, and I sort of mentioned earlier, but Belichick, his like, I guess it's suspect. Um, maybe suspect isn't the right word, but his history with quarterbacks just fascinates me because, you know, the Bernie Kosar thing, like. Yeah, obviously, and they talk about it. Bernie was, you know, he was injured too, and he got hurt, and he wasn't the same, and he wasn't seeing things like he used to, and they had to make a difficult decision, and he was hated for it in Cleveland. Pioli was talking about how there was, like, you know, police cars down the street from his house, Belichick's Which house. like crazy. Yeah, like. Some of the audio clips of people being like, I don't care where you go, we're going <laughs> to find you. Like, what the hell? Yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> and so for him to go through all that, that Pioli was like, his family took it hard. He was like. They had like Art Modell and Bill Belichick like punching bags, like hanging from the. Remember, like they put that, sh like it's just, it's like, and again, that's football and that's the fans that you deal with. But Sports for him culture. to go through all of, yeah, but for him to go through all that stuff in Cleveland and then his next chance at a head coaching job, he has to make the decision again and he still goes with his gut. Like, good on him. 
Um, but his his and then again, you can go through the Mac Jones stuff and the Cam Newton thing and letting Brady go. Like he he, he has a thing for quarterbacks, but again, for him to trust his gut, you can't deny that going with Brady was the right decision there. So, um, but yeah, the the Bernie Kosar Cleveland story is is a good one to listen to as well. And again, it's it's good context to hear that Bledsoe was on the decline. Like it yeah. sounds like such a publicly you can understand because they're not going to throw Bledsoe under the bus and be like, yeah, well, he's not. I don't know if they were trying to leak info and stuff like that to kind of get the storyline out there, but it is terrifying in that position. And I keep seeing tweets being like, if there was social media, that would have been an absolute, like that would have been hellfire. Just everybody would have been all over him. And they already were. It's like, it's not like it was an easy decision anyway. So very interesting getting a little more perspective on what went into that decision. We got more going to talk about the second episode and get into Daniel Jeremiah's championship foundation piece. But first, quick word from our friends at FanDuel. We'll be back. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and shoot your shot. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. 21 plus and present in Massachusetts, hope is here. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com, gamblinghelplinema.org, or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. All right, so episode number two, the snowball. We got some insight into Brady getting picked, Brady and Belichick, why they appreciate each other. I'm mm-hmm. sure that was much needed because it's. I think it's just going to get worse in terms yeah. of the context <laughs> of the relationship. And then again, the snowball. So uh, first thing I guess we could touch on was Scott Pioli kind of giving more insight. We already had an idea of why they picked Brady. We've kind of heard mm-hmm. about it. But was there anything that you gleaned that you thought was outstanding or that you didn't know before um, I'm- hearing kind of that perspective? Going into the Patriots draft this year, the 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 big debate, and it's not just at the number three pick with them, but it it's it's at the service now. But everyone sort of talks about like, do you go with the best player available, or do you go with a do you draft for need? Like, do you go with Cole Strange at pick twenty nine just because you need a guard, or do you pick the best? Like, it's and again, I use that and not not to take a shot at Cole Strange, but that's kind of what they did, right? They drafted for need. It didn't matter who else was available, and so Pioli says that. The Patriots drafted for their they rather they drafted the best player available because they were sitting there and they were at the you know they had just picked a player like and I, I looked at their draft board last night when I was you know writing some recap but they had drafted I forget who it was like three picks before then they had the pick again and it's like okay he's still sitting there and he is the best player available but we don't need a quarterback and people was like that was the one position we went into this draft not needing was quarterback and we knew it but Finally, they were like, well, he's still there and he's staring us in the damn face. Like, let's just take him. And so they did. And ended up being the best position ever or the best pick, uh, arguably, in the history of the NFL draft. And so that happens. And then, like I mentioned, um, you hear the Belichick call to Brady and he's like, you know, sorry for making you wait so long. But like, we're happy to have you. And I thought that was cool to, to see that as well, because he's like standing in his office. Like the old pictures and videos of Belichick are just hilarious, too, because like you can kind of hear the the Bel- the 
the Belichick of now, but he's like a little bit more soft or not, not soft spoken, but like a little bit more Let's open. He has a little bit more. Yeah. And so uh, it's kind of cool, but yeah, the them taking the best player available over a position in need was, was interesting. Yeah. Brady was the four string quarterback when he started. Like I, yeah. I'm pretty sure he's the one who makes jokes about how we eat like nachos and hot dogs before the games. He's like, I'm not playing. Like, I'm not, they kept four quarterbacks on their 53 man roster. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Like, the Patriots have kept one for the last couple of years. It was Mac, and then it was Cam Newton two years ago, like one quarterback. And now they kept four. Like, that's when you know, again, what we said about episode one, where they knew they liked Brady over Bledsoe even, you know, exactly. before the whole thing actually happened. So, yeah. yeah. And that was like some insight I think we've had before where they're just like, yeah, we had to keep him because we didn't want to get rid of him. But we we knew we couldn't play him, but he was a really talented kid. Right. Very interesting. Um. So next, Brady and Belichick. So obviously now that Belichick's gone, or even before, like since Brady left, people have been having the conversation of like, did Belichick need Brady, vice versa? And with Brady having success without Belichick and Belichick having the opposite of success without Brady, it's become, oh yeah, Brady did everything. I think anybody who's coming to this conversation and being sincere understands that's an absolutely ridiculous thing to say. But even more so, I think it's been reiterated that they did make each other better. Because uh, Belichick has said it so many times, he loved being able to get a quarterback's perspective, especially as a defensive-minded coach, to hear how somebody who was such a great processor and who understood the game so well. And, like, you hear Belichick raves about Brady's intelligence. And especially to hear him say it from when it was so early on and how quickly Brady would pick things up. And he was like, yeah, you don't really have to worry about this kid. But that was fascinating for a young quarterback with, with clearly Belichick having a pretty high standard for his quarterbacks. And then Brady talking about how Belichick made him better, which right. should be pretty obvious that like a young quarterback benefiting from a great defensive mind would be very helpful. Uh, but what did you learn and uh, take away from that part? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, all of that, the fact that they gave each other their flowers and, um, again, not that they're not going to, cause even now, like as Belichick didn't say too much about Brady when he left, when he just went to Tampa almost cause like he's mm. still in the league and I don't really want to like, he doesn't really talk about players that aren't on his team, whatever. The second he retired from Tampa, Belichick, any chance he got has said, you know, had a rave review about, about Brady. So I give him all that, you know, credit there. Um, Brady mentioning, the fact that he learned from him too was was good to see. And then him just talking about quarterback school, right? And how they would just sit hours and hours on end watching film and bouncing stuff off each other. Like that's the shit that I'm sure you would like sit in the corner and like just like just be drooling. I would over. need a like, bib. I would need a bib. Yeah, literally, like <laughs> listening to like and it'd just be and it would be crazy to be a fly on the wall for those conversations. It as much as you would love to have been a fly on the wall when Brady went to Robert Kraft's house and said, I'm leaving the Patriots. Like people would love to hear that conversation just as much. I would love to hear those two just un, you know, unfiltered talk about football and talk about, you know, we're going to do this and here's why. And this is why when these guys were like all that, you know, the intricacies of football, listen to the two greatest minds talk about it would be fascinating, especially, you know, at such a young age for the both of them and to kind of see those, those meetings evolve. So um, hearing, you know, Brady talk about that was, was really cool. Him, him calling it quarterback school and that, you know, he said morning, noon, night, we were just in there football junkies, just talking about football all the time. Like I thought that was pretty cool. That is awesome. And obviously once uh, this is kind of off topic, but did you notice in the beginning when Brady's like, it's perfect, leave it at that. He looked like he was crying or about to cry. Yes. So yeah. You've yeah, yeah. seen the whole thing. Can you give a sneak peek into what exactly he was talking about? Cause I was like, I know that Brady face. He's, he's yeah. it back a little bit. He starts to cry. He's, he's talking about, um, 
I think they asked him like if he if he'd change anything, like if he would want you know want anything to happen differently, and he was like, no, it was perfect. And then he does his, yeah, you know, like you said, the Brady face and starts to tear up. But yeah, I think that was just a, that was just basically like, hey, uh, would you would you have done it anything different? He said no, it was perfect. So so beautiful how things are really nice, but then like obviously the relationship part gets right. involved, and you're with anybody for twenty years, stuff starts to piss you off, and when it's someone like Belichick who's not really going to change. Right. Then it becomes like, all right, well, you know, you can only deal with it for so long. And we saw it eventually. That's you know, kind of ends up being the moral of the whole thing is he doesn't, you know, Belichick didn't want to change. And why would you when you've had so much success? So it's, it's, it's tough. And you'll, again, you'll see when it comes through, but um, yeah. yeah. All right. So last thing we'll hit on for this is the snowball. Now I thought yeah. it was funny with Robert Crabb being like, we did everything within the rules to, you know, clear out a spot. That was my like, big takeaway. Yeah. It's like, you talk you about, you talk about spy gate and deflate gate and bending the rules and the thing with the Bengals. And look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you the Patriots are these massive cheaters by any means, but there's no denying that they've sort of leaned into and bent the rules and there's, there's evidence. <laughs> exactly. And so yeah. I thought that was the first, like, real instance of like gamesmanship with them. It's like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna push the envelope. We're gonna do it. All right. And you know, well, what are you talking about? We clear the lines every X amount of minutes, but that's all we like. It's just, it was perfect. I was like, that was a, they talk about Spygate and everything later in the doc. So I thought that was an interesting precursor, just the, the gamesmanship aspect of that. Also just hilarious that all that happened against the Raiders, the literal yeah. kings of gamesmanship are just flat out right. cheating until you catch yeah. them. Like I know. That's that's pretty hilarious. Also, I yeah. love now that he's further away from it, Brady is very okay with being like, Yeah, I thought that game was over. <laughs> I, thought oh, yeah. I thought I fumbled. He yeah. got it, he's touched on it before and he makes jokes about it, but now he's like, Yeah, I don't really care. I have enough success. Definitely probably shouldn't have happened, but hey. And then we yeah. got the stuff that we already know where it's like Vinatieri knew how serious it was. Mm-hmm. Um, in that it was a really difficult kick, maybe like more perspective now, um, on just how impactful it was because it right. did launch the dynasty in a situation yeah. where he had no business making either one of those kicks. Well, um, that's the thing yeah. that I kind of wish not that I wish, but uh, I was waiting for like either Brady or Bledsoe or even Belichick or Kraft really to say, like, you know, I wonder where we'd be if you know, the tuck rule never actually happened. Like, would Brady still be the quarterback the following season or would they have gone back to Bledsoe or would like, you know, they no nobody really said like a what if. They were just, you know, they obviously thought it was crazy and that the game was over, but there was no like what would have happened to Brady if they didn't actually win a Super Bowl and come out on top. So, um, and again, I, with what you hear from Pioli and Bill and Ernie Adams about where they were on Brady versus Bledsoe, maybe they probably just still would have went with Tom, but if he doesn't mount that comeback, he threw a pick early. Like he wasn't great in that game to start. Obviously, the clutch factor comes in. And like I mentioned earlier, he didn't sound like he he said, like me and my teammates, we didn't think we could go down and win that game. And then Bill comes over. He's like, no, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go up tempo and we're going to get it. And Brady goes down and does his rushing touchdown, spikes the ball, falls over, all that stuff. So it is. It's fun. It's nostalgic. But um, yeah, so that's kind of the, that part. We also got to see how like that craft loyalty come through where like the way that he talks about Tom now is how he was talking about Bledsoe then or even yeah. Jonathan was like, yeah, it was like another one of his sons. Yeah, he did not want Bledsoe to be benched. And he said right. he felt because Bledsoe got hurt on the job. Even he was saying, I felt a personal responsibility mm-hmm. to his family because, again, yeah. with the severity of that injury, I'm sure if it's somebody that you hold that dearly and again while they're under your employment they right. suffer an injury that almost kills them yeah. it's 
you kind yeah, of where does workman's compensation come in on that, right? Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Honestly, that's pretty funny. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah, I guess that wraps well, up. That Any too, other takeaways from this? Just uh, I forget if they touch on it in this episode or the one before, but I mean, the fact that Kraft literally had Bledsoe in his office and said, I'm going to talk to Bill about you getting your job back. And like they I, I didn't know that part of it. I didn't know that Kraft actually went to Bill and was like, hey, should we start Drew? And then at the end of the conversation, Kraft said the same stuff that he said about, um, you know, having personnel people with Mayo a couple months ago. Like you need to have guys in order and in place to do things and then you can hold them accountable. So like instead right. of the crafts making the decisions on X, Y, and Z on who they're going to take at number three, they're going to use this guy. And if they get that wrong, then he can hold them accountable and move on to someone else. And he said that with, um, you know, what he said to drew, he, he, I thought it was kind of crazy. He was like, if he messes this up, I can hold him accountable. And the fact that he said that to Bledsoe was, was very interesting. And so um, it made a lot of sense to like, you don't want a meddling owner. And I think mm -hmm. Kraft has sort of learned from that and he's never really done yeah, that. So and so say, like yeah. everyone wonders what's going to happen now. And I get it because it's, you don't have Belichick to rely on, but I mean, way back when you see that happen and Kraft was like, I'm going to let him make the decision. And if it doesn't work, then I act on it. Um, I thought that was sort of telling on where the future might go as well. Yeah, I think Robert Kraft's a pretty self-aware person. Like yeah. the reason he likes to be hands-off is because he interfered with Parcells. And he tried to do too much. And Parcells mm -hmm. got mad about it. I mean, there's a whole, you know, if they're going to make you cook the dinner, at least let you buy some of the right. groceries. Like that whole thing. And Kraft is on record as being like, that was when I realized I can't do this. Like I need right. to put people in place and trust them to do what they do. So to yep. hear that he even wanted to go to Bill and be like, hey – should we be doing this with that lesson being learned and with him wanting to start fresh under Belichick? Right. It just, again, puts into perspective how significant a move it was with Bledsoe. And then, like, fast-forwarding today, I think, you know, there's all this talk, oh, is Jonathan going to interfere? Is Kraft going to interfere? I don't really think they want to. I think right. they were forced to. You know, I understand that everybody wants to, you know, give Belichick – some grace for what's happened over the past few years. But I don't think he deserves it, frankly. And I think as right. owners and as, as Kraft said, like we are stewards of this franchise, like we are responsible for what happens to it. And it got to the point, especially with Patricia, where, you know, he wanted to bring it back and the crafts were like, all right, no hard stop. We need to yeah. intervene because this is starting to go in a place we don't like. And as owners of the team, you can dislike it because Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick, but right. it doesn't matter because they're going to be there much longer than Bill. Uh, so, yeah, we can put a bow on that. Now we will move on to Daniel Jeremiah's championship foundation. So Daniel Jeremiah says the Patriots have a ton of cap space and I will add really good draft capital, uh, but they have some serious work ahead to be a viable championship contender. So going position by position for offense, Daniel Jeremiah has quarterback, three offensive playmakers and three quality offensive linemen as his standard. For defense, mm -hmm. he has two pass rushers and three defensive playmakers. At quarterback, red, there is no quarterback. Mm -hmm. Mac Jones, obviously, probably going to be on another team. He's a trade candidate. We have no idea what's going to happen with Zappi, but highly doubt he is a serious contender to start. Ramondre Stevenson, Juju Smith-Schuster, and David Andrews are all yellow, which means age, injury, or contract concerns. I'm guessing with Stevenson, that's more contract and injury. He's only 25 years old. That's not really that Yeah, early. coming off yeah. an injury maybe, but then also it's he's going into yeah. a contract year, right? And so right. you wonder yeah. if you're going to pay a running back and yeah. 
hundred percent. And then for Juju, I think it's all of the above. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, everything's scary, bad. Scary. And then yeah. David Andrews is age. You could say injury, but he was an Iron Man last year. And then contract because he might retire. So those are kind of the same thing. Um, so yeah, we'll just start with offense. And then Demario, Cole Strange, and City. So he has as unproven young players. Hmm. What are your thoughts on what I said about the offense, and how do you think they can flip some of these and turn them kind of green and blue in some areas? All right, let's see. Um, I'm looking away. I can zoom looking... in too if you want, because I feel like it I have it up on my phone. Stuff. So I mean, okay. if you want to zoom in, just for uh, anyone who's watching. But oh, that is um, not helpful. <laughs> there we go. There you okay, go. Perfect. Yeah. So I mean, quarterback, right? Like that's obvious. You wonder how do they fix it? Do they go with quarterback at number three overall? Um, and then wide receiver is sort of similar. I mean, you could go with Marvin Harrison Jr. at three. You could end up taking one at you know. 34, 68, do your tradebacks. But then and again, it's playmaker, not necessarily receiver. That's important because uh, it could be true. a really good tight end like it's Damian right. Sanders, you know, so important yeah. one to add in there as well. Um, you could also add in a Hunter Henry there should you end up re-signing him. Um, I, I would I assume I think he's that, yellow. I think he'd put in the yellow. Um, age for age? Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, but even still, like to get some green in here, I mean, you're going to want to go – or. I guess even pink, right? Unproven and young. Like, it's okay to have a young yeah. player. Um, mm -hmm. You're going to want to go with a quarterback early. Um, and then free agency is going to be massive, right? I mean, we've done our our wish list here on Pat Staley over the last couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And we always seem to have a left tackle, a right tackle, and a wide receiver in there. So um, that's going to be how they attack that. And then um, just looking at the the pink on offense, I mean, Demario Douglas has the opportunity to be green next season. Um, yeah, for sure. In in the offense, there's any offense they're going to run. Like he was, he was great last year. He's just young right now, and you want to see him sort of bud. Um, and then Cole Strange and City So are the same thing. I mean, Strange, Strange was hurt this year, so I mean, you could maybe put injury concern on him as well. But um, new system, new scheme, new offensive line coaches. Get him right, a guy who you had on as a first round pick. Um, that you know that could that could work out. So him and him and City So will kind of just end up developing. Um, and be okay. And then get, again, that, that red, like I said, you gotta, you gotta attack it in the draft for free agency. Well, I think that red could turn into Mike and Leno because these are all like guys that are free yeah. agents. So you resign him. He's at least, I think if he's, if you resign him as that's interesting in this Van Pelt scheme, they pull their interior guys a lot. I just yeah. don't think that's a world you want to live in with Nwenu. Now I you agree. could have him be more like pulling on trap where he's taking out guys at the end of the line of scrimmage instead of getting to the second level. Um, but you'd think that at guard, he's more potential blue, although I think he's green either way. Yes. Um, but I think his upside's higher there. With City, if you give him a whole offseason at a position he should be playing, <laughs> I think that he yeah, has a really, right. uh, really good possibility to be a green. And then the offensive line, I think if you sign like – Maybe a Jonah Williams you get to green. I don't really think outside of that, like with, you know, we talked about Tyron Smith. I just don't think he's going to want to sign with a team like the Patriots. Right. Um, so I mean, you probably even a guy like, have... if you bring, no, if you bring Trent Brown too, like that's just a, a yellow, like yellow concern, like just a big concern. Yeah. And I don't care if you call it age or injury or what. And again, that's just kind of what he's been the last couple of years. Yeah. So if you want some greens and blues, I think it's going to have to be at least one offensive lineman in the top two rounds. Yep. Um, then one of those ended up being purple. And then I think it went who gets you to green. And then with the offensive playmakers, it's tough, man. Like Ramondre Stevenson, I get there. I just, I would like to turn all of these impossible into either green, blue, or pink. 
Pink, I think, would just be, you know, if they draft like a Roman Wilson or a sure. or a um, Ricky Pearsall, and then you kind of flip that. I just don't think they're good enough right now to draft a receiver in the top two, unless you wait for Rattler right. in the third round. Then I could really consider it. Um, and then if you want like a green, that's probably like, a, you know, if Calvin Ridley hits the market, if yep. Mike Evans hits the market, obviously T. Higgins, he's kind of in that blue-green range. But you got to see who's actually going to be available. That's tough. And then Michael Pittman, obviously, is probably a green, but I yeah. would be stunned if they let him – yeah, I'm that, with but. you. The more the more the weeks go on, I look at um, Higgins and Michael Pittman as pretty much un- unattainable here. Um, and Mike which, Evans which sucks, like- but that makes sense. Yeah, Evans is interesting only because they might have to franchise tag Baker Mayfield. But again, if Tampa pays up for him, which they should if they're going to bring back Baker, right? Then they just pay and he stays home and it's easy. So. Yeah, That's especially when you're all when you have a championship window. Like Evans Bingo, can go somewhere right. else and like maybe get paid, but I, I just feel like Tampa's not gonna wanna let him go. So Calvin Ridley's probably gonna be at the top of that list. And like Marquise Brown would probably be a green. I just don't love Isn't the he an fit. injury guy though, too. Douglas. Doesn't he have injury? Yeah, concerns? that's true. You can put him I as a young, right? Yeah. Yeah. And plus with him and Demario Douglas, like I think he needs size at receiver. I think he needs size and explosiveness. Bingo. Um, and I think the small guys who are explosive, like you got Demario, you got Thornton even. I, I think you need other guys who can give you like good run blockers, but also give you some burst. All right, moving on to defense. For okay, so again, Matt Judon is yellow, which makes total sense. I think Keon White, maybe he's a pink right now. I think he's mm-hmm. someone that you could put in if he has a really good year two and he makes a jump. I think he could maybe be a green. Um, yep. and then you look at defensive playmakers. Peppers, I guess, is injury concern or age concern. Because he did get Age hurt and, last year. Yeah. Um, I think he's headed into a contract year as well. Um, so that's another True. thing where you wonder yeah. about, you know, where that's going. But And with that age, I don't even think he's really an extension candidate. I was talking I to, agree. I think it was Brad Spielberger about that. Um, Jelani Tavai is a little odd. Um, Jawan Bentley, I could see injury because he had that hamstring yeah. that kind of seemed to slow him down in the year. But Jelani, he's 27, which I yeah. guess could might be an age concern. And didn't they uh, just sign him to a contract extension this past offseason? I think that was like last that? year, actually. Oh, I'll it was? Okay. Right you now. might be yeah, right. I think, I think he might be in a contract year. Okay. I will check real quick. But it's good to see um, one green here. We can talk as you check a little Christian Barmore action. A guy who... Who I think should be a blue, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, like, what's the argument against it? I think it's I just he's not getting see... recognition. That's that's kind of the thing, right? It's that he's a little bit under the radar. Um, and so mm-hmm. from from our perspective, yeah, he is a blue chipper. It is a loaded position. You're 100% right. Um, yeah. But again, a guy who you can build around, you have to sign. Like, there's no question about that. Um, so, yeah, no, that's – again, you could put him in blue. I would like to see um, – I haven't dove deep enough into Jeremiah's, like, the rest of these things he's done. But I'd like to see who else he has as blue chippers to kind of see what, what his ex- – like, uh, Qualification. I know right. he's got like um Ed Oliver, Josh okay. Allen. The Jets have four. They have Brees Hall, um, Garrett Wilson, Sauce, and Quinnen Williams. Okay. And then the Dolphins, I think, are Jalen Ramsey, Javon Holland, Tyreek Hill. I think interesting. Are Holland was a blue yeah. chipper, huh? I'm not surprised, honestly. He's a no, dog. he's good, but Holland. it's it, maybe I kind of put him. Did he get hurt? Yeah, but I, I also just – I mean, maybe I'm naive to to Miami Dolphins football a little bit, but I put him in the category of Barmore where, like, a little bit mm. undervalued maybe. And so I just – again, I would call him a blue chipper just like I would call Barmore mm. a blue chipper, but I kind of – again, the, 
the the way Jeremiah ranks him is kind of what I was interested in. It but, might just be because it's like D tackle is such a loaded spot and safety right. isn't really like yeah, when you think fair. of like play making safeties, there's like that come off the top of your head, it's like yeah. Antoine Winfield, Javon Holland, Kyle Duggar, Jabril Pepper. I'm like honestly, safeties are hard to like think of right. off the top of your head, to be totally honest. Kind of by the nature well, that's, of the position. That's but. the point that I guess that goes to your point, right? So you think of Holland first, you don't think of anybody else, you think of defensive tackle. At what point do you get to Christian Barmore? And that's not taking away from him. It's just the nature of the position. Right. I think that – so, yeah, again, so Keon White is someone you would hope can be that pass rusher for yep. you. So then you get a couple guys. I still think you could get, like, a situational pass rusher who could develop into, like, a real threat for you. Like, I'm kind of thinking about what they could do in the offseason, and I think they're probably going to go – oh, also Jennings. If you re-sign Anthony Jennings, I think yeah. he is one of your defensive playmakers. He doesn't force turnovers. Maybe that's an area of his game where he can look to attack the football more. But in terms of stops, tackles for loss, you can't run at him. I understand yep. that run defense isn't as highly valued, so maybe like he's kind of fringe. But because he has so makes such an impact in what he does, I think you could put him there. I think Marte Mapu has potential to be kind of a green. His ceiling, I think, is blue just because he's so athletic and right. has ball skills and is very smart. But it's going to take a big jump from where he was in year one. I do think they need to draft. And then Gonzalez is another guy who I think is blue. It's just I understand why Daniel called right. him improved. Oh, yeah. They played in – Three, he like three games three game. in a quarter. Yeah, yeah right. right. Um, but I do think they need to draft someone who can force more turnovers because that was the one area, other than pass rush for understandable reasons, where the defense wasn't very good. They didn't force a ton of turnovers. It was really Jabril and Jelani every week. And if right. they didn't do it, nobody else did. So like a Jack Jones-type presence, maybe like a ball-hawking corner, uh, more of a playmaking linebacker if you want to use Mac Wilson more on the edge or something like that. How do you think they can maybe get another blue or green shipper in here outside of, again, like a Barmore or a Gonzalez or if Keon White and Marte Mapu kind of hit their ceilings? Oh, man. Josh Allen from the uh, the Jaguars, Josh Jags, Allen. I mean, that's yeah. that's you bring him in and he's a, a fringe, if not a blue chipper, right away. Um, yeah. Man, I'm trying to think of like free agency. Um, like realistic ones, it's tough. Yeah, it is. Right. Um, I mean, if you go to the even going to the draft, right? Like, I think like they're going to need an edge rusher or they might need a cornerback, but that doesn't give you a blue chip ceiling because I don't plan on or I don't think they should plan on drafting a, a blue chipper with a, a someone with the ceiling of a blue chipper in the first three rounds because they need quarterback wide receiver and, and offensive line so bad. So um, it's interesting, but it's, they're in a better spot than they are on offense. So like, I'm okay with sort of waiting out the, the progression of a guy like, you know, Keon white and Marte Mapu and Gonzalez. Um, the one I guess I have in mind again is, is Josh Allen because edge with Judon who they list here as the co contract contract concern guy um, grabbing a D end with blue chip, uh, with the blue chip ceiling is something they could do in free agency for sure. Absolutely. All right. That'll wrap it up. That was fun. Any cool. last minute thoughts before we head out of here? Uh, watch the dynasty. It's awesome. Uh, and <laughs> the Patriots it's, it's exciting times, even though you, uh, you have the third overall pick, you have a dynasty documentary to watch, um, and something to look forward to with the new head coach and John Mayer. So regardless of it being February 16th, we're able to find some things to talk about with the Patriots. So make sure to always follow along and keep up with, uh, with the team. And also let the people know what you got going on. What are you dropping? All right. Uh, we have got plenty over at WEI.com. Uh, mock draft up from yesterday. Uh, Dynasty documentary recaps that will be dropping every Friday, two at a time, along with um, 
along with the the episodes every week. So look forward to that. Six Rings podcast with myself, Fitzy and Andy. A uh, bunch of times a week, a bunch of stuff up there. So check it out. Subscribe to the pod. Follow on Twitter at Mike Cadlick, and you can read all the Pat's musings at WEI.com. That's all right. All right. Thank you all, as always, for watching. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. And we'll see you next time. Peace.